May what is spoken and heard today be spoken and heard in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for having me here today. I'm, uh, I feel honored. It's, uh, this is round two. <laughs> I got up early this morning and drove from Middletown. And uh, lovely day. I mean, I have to say it's one of God's great beauties is to travel through Connecticut this time of year. So even in the early dawn, it was gorgeous. I want to welcome you here this morning, especially to your rector, Whitney, and to the vestry, and to the folks at St. Stephen's. Thanks for inviting me, and, and also last week, to be part of your consecration activities, and today, Consecration Sunday. I was last here about five years ago with Bishop Drew Smith to tell, your, tell our stories and offer it as a challenge in our Drew and Jack show, it's fun for me to be back. Incidentally, if you can't hear me, raise your hand. Um, I had a tendency at the eight o'clock to knock this out of the way. And, so, and although I know I'm under these wonderful architectural splendors of, of acoustics, or as some people said, it was a halo over the preacher's head. In my case, I know that doesn't fit. I, I just hope the architect knew what he he or she was doing when, when they built it. Today's gospel continues a series of parables that serve as support to Christian thought and witness as we all reflect on God's great teachings. In our lives, we are a constant balancing act between the Pharisee who boasted about his accomplishments and how wonderful he was, and the tax collector who acknowledged himself as a sinner and begged for mercy. We are both humbled and humble, and it is that struggle which keeps us hard at work to do God's work to the best of our ability. Hiding our light under a bushel is not by itself good. We need to let it shine for others to learn, yet overdoing the intensity of the light is a further job for us to shroud when the focus is too much on me. And being humble in our own story of faith is a teaching tool of great weight when we don't cross the line to braggadocia, thus defeating the teaching. We are sinners and we work to overcome that our whole life, but it can be and is a joyful journey, believe it or not. Part of that journey is giving back to God that which has been given to us. On Consecration Sunday today, making a commitment is part of that road and one that challenged us to be serious, faithful, guileless, and honest in our dispatch. Let me tell you the story of my wife Susan's and my journey to work toward the goal of making commitments over the past 47 years. I was born uh, the son of a mother and father who were both active Episcopalians. So I'm a cradle birth. And uh, it has been interesting because dad was warden for many years. I said this morning in an era where wardens came on by birth and went off by death. And uh, so he was very active and mom was likewise active doing all the things that women did in that era 
before they were allowed on the vestry. And then things changed. But anyway, uh, I was there all the time because they were there, and my sisters were likewise. And at about age five or six, I was invited or thrust into the choir, uh, the youth choir that they had. And I realized that our wonderful choir master and director, Anne Marancy Nielsen, uh, had a system of rewarding people for their attendance and their deportment. And she had a little envelope that she'd give us at the end of each month. And she used last year's envelopes from the church to be frugal. And in it, it had two sides in those days, one for mission, one for uh, operating the church administration. So she used the two sides. One was for attendance. If you were, had a good attendance, you got a nickel for each time you attended. And you got a nickel for good deportment. Mine was empty on the deportment side at the end of each month. <laughs> Because I thought as a Borden's child I had special privilege, kind of like, <laughs> like a faculty brat, and, which I was also. Uh, so I had it twice. And that was the first time that money ever entered my life in the church. But it was wrong, from the wrong side. I said, this is pretty good. I come to church and I get paid. <laughs> and I said, that's the way I thought it was. It's a pretty good deal. And then I went on to school, college, came back to the community, and uh, settled in, eventually married, and never once did anyone in the church ever approach me about money. Never. Didn't speak to, from it from the pulpit, didn't talk about it in open meetings. And here, we learned later, as we began to dig into it, that in the Old Testament, certainly the tithe was the, the first fruits, 10% of the first fruits, was pretty common occurrence. And in the New Testament, it wasn't mentioned at all. And it wasn't mentioned because, as I said to the group last week I met with, that in the New Testament, Jesus talked about money all the time and he didn't talk about 10%, he talked about all of it. That our gift giving back to God was everything, not just 10%. So that's why the tithe isn't in the, mentioned in the New Testament. And yet money is mentioned more often than any other subject except salvation. So why the church didn't talk about money, I don't know, but they didn't. Well, back, go backwards to early, late 60s, early 70s, Susan and I got involved in the stewardship committee. We were invited to a couples club meeting and there was a debate going on about whether their dues would be five cents or 10 cents. And I thought that was per week and it turned out to be per year. And all of a sudden we said, you know, the church does not understand money and giving back as it should. So we began to kind of have our own little conversations about this at home and decided that we were going to work in our proportional giving annually, eventually toward a tithe. And that was in 1970. And by 1978, we'd achieved that goal of 10%. And that two years later, Bishop Walmsley approached me, and I had known him from being on the Finance Committee of the Diocese. And 
he said, I'd like you to come to work for, for me and my new administration and deal with the real estate and insurance of the diocese, which is what my field was. And, and this is what the package is. Well, the package was a two-thirds cut in pay from where I was. And I didn't see how I could ever do it, but I also said, and when I home told Susan, she thought I was crazy. I mean, it was not, we had two children and we had to plan for their education and livelihood and, and, uh, and so it didn't seem feasible. But at the same time, the 70s had been good to us. God had been wonderful to us. And, we, and I was 40 and I said, if we don't give back now, we'll always be too timid to do it. So we need to leap forward. So I took the job, and we talked a little bit about whether we were going to give at the same level we've been giving to God's work. And we didn't give everything to the institutional church, but we gave the bulk of it to the institutional church because that's where our rock was. That's what nurtured us so we could go out and do God's work elsewhere. And we decided that, uh, well, we didn't really decide. We just didn't do anything. And I kept on giving at the level we had been giving. And after a couple of years, we discovered that we hadn't missed anything, that we were able to do that. Quality of our life had not gone down. We had maybe given up some things that we once did. Maybe we didn't go out as often. Maybe we didn't buy cars as often. We didn't uh, go on vacations as long as we might normally do it. We gave up our winter vacation, I remember. But that did not bother us. It, we were fine. We were fine. We were happy. So fast forward again, and we lived through the, <laughs> the 80s, the wild 80s, and the end of them, and the 90s, and uh, the, came to the point where I was going to retire. And I had asked to retire in 2001, and the bishop said, would I stay two more years with him? And then we didn't talk for 10. And so, you know, I didn't retire until just a little over two years ago, a little under two years ago. And then we had the next challenge. What were we going to do in our retirement? Were we going to give the same as we had been giving at the same level to those uh, parts of our life to, uh, to give to God's work? And we've done that. Again, we didn't have much of a conversation about it. We just continued as we were. And so far, things are fine. And we now give about 25% of our income away annually. And it does not hurt us. And it doesn't, we, we just don't, we, we live simply. We, we, the quality is great. Uh, our kids both live in California, a tribute to our parenting. They went as far west as they could when they, <laughs> when they left. And uh, we go to see them a couple times a year. And, uh, and everything's fine. So, I commend to you the conversations that we had uh, simply because they were how we kind of moved forward informally and always joyful because if it became a pain, then we would have had to go back and revisit it because giving to God's work should not be painful. It should be a happy occasion, and it is. So what has happened to us has been a joy with its own struggles, and I commend you to I commend it to you to add to the many other witnesses you have heard from your parishioners and others. And you approach your commitment today 
with that same fervor that has been thoughtfully brought to you in the past weeks by Whitney and your consecration committee organizers. They were great. I mean, they've done a great amount of work for you, and, and you should be pleased with what they've done. I'll close with a timely closing paragraph from the letter that they sent you to invite you to this process, and I quote it. Our focus for the special Sunday centers on 2 Corinthians 9. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. As we come upon the season of harvest, this verse is a reminder that God asks us to think of the farmer who plants his harvest when demonstrating gratitude for the gifts given us. Farming is not done lightly or impulsively, but with the purpose to bring results, a bountiful harvest. So too our gifts have a purpose, that others may know God. It may be a beginning for some, or the deepening of a relationship for others. It is even possible that it doesn't involve a relationship at all. Perhaps it's just someone in one of the fellowship groups who use our building being given an opportunity to heal and to be safe in the space we provide them. Our gratitude fulfills God's intention to help others in his name. Thanks for your willingness to be faithful servants in a wonderful place with a bountiful energy to do God's work. And remember that going back to the old trite sometimes saying of time, talent, and treasure, that it is all three, not choose two. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful people and kindle in them the fire of thy love. What we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. For Jesus' sake, amen.